Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. All right, uh, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about the first week and a half of the Major League Baseball season. NBA is getting its real season, a.k.a. the playoffs underway. Um, but Major League Baseball is just getting their season underway, period. What can we learn from the first week and a half? Let's go to a guy who figures this stuff out for a living, uh, one of the best national baseball writers in the country, doing some contributing for the New York Times these days, hops on Sirius XM's MLB Network often enough as well. Mr. Scott Miller here with me on CBS Sports Radio. How's your first week and a half going, Scotty? Hello, Jody. Nice to be with you. And, uh, you know, it's it's going, I would say, exceptionally especially relative to where we were over the winter. In fact, I think the last time you and I talked, maybe was the lockout was still going on. I don't know if we've talked since the lockout, unless I'm forgetting. But, you know, just how nice is it to have the game on the field, have all that nonsense in the rearview mirror? You know, the sun is shining, the season's starting, all kinds of good stories all over the game. Um, you know, it's been fun. The first week and a half has been a lot of fun to watch. It's nice to have games going every night, isn't it? Here's, here's, I, I quasi agree with you. Um, okay. So let me ask a question to get to the reason why I'm not sure I'm 100% like you. Have you seen <laughs> any effects of the first week and a half of the fact that even though it's great the baseball's back and they got it done and we were thinking they were going to have to shorten the season and Rob Manfred went to the fall we're losing games uh, whip twice but was in a position yet to reverse that. So all that is good. Nobody's going to argue that. But uh, as many pitchers that are being used, the whole Clayton Kershaw got lifted from a perfect game thing, that's due in part to the fact that we're working under strained arrangements because of a shortened spring training and knowing they're squeezing 162 into a uh, week less than the year that they had set aside. Have you not seen some effects of the extended CBA talks and the late uh, agreement in the first week and a half? Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I guess, you know what, Jody, I mean, I, I sort of see your point. I mean, it's not pure baseball like we're accustomed to. Uh, but then again, in the last few years with so many changes, um, you know, starters not going nearly as deep as they once did, everything on pitch counts, you know, starters starting pitching basically almost disappearing from the game. I'd say a couple things. One, I mean – for baseball lovers, guys that and gals that have, you know, basically put their livelihoods and lives into the game, um, I, I think for that the game has changed and it's 
there's we, we we could sit here probably for the next hour break down some things where you know I can certainly be critical it, it it's not the game we grew up with I hope it veers back that way sometime soon sooner than later so I think what we've watched in the first and then that's been exacerbated by just the three and a half week spring training instead of six weeks especially yep. in the pitching to your point three and a half week spring training Every single one of the 30 teams is scared to death of pitching injuries because everybody knows the pitchers did not get a chance to get built up the way they normally do. So certainly we've seen adjustments made. And, you know, I guess what I would say is what I said, we're thrilled to have the game back every night. I would also say the first week and a half, you know, you could go one of two ways. You know, you could you could grade harshly or you could grade on the curve. And I've pretty much resigned myself to grading on the curve, knowing that the first month or six weeks of the season is going to be vastly different because only three and a half weeks of spring training. And I just had this discussion with a call. I had it last night, too, when I was filling in for Zach Gelb here on CBS Sports Radio the uproar about Dave Roberts pulling Clayton Kershaw yep. with the uh, perfect game. I, I I don't know. Maybe you know off the top of your head no better than me. I, I guess I should have Googled it during the break. I'm guessing Clayton Kershaw's 80 pitches, if not the highest number, is certainly one of the highest numbers and is probably the highest number of pitchers thrown by any pitcher of Clayton Kershaw's age at this point this year. I had zero, not not point zero zero one, zero percent problem with what Dave Roberts did with baseball being what it is in 2022, where we're at, what the season is, what Clayton Kershaw's age is. I had zero problem with it. Did you? Yeah, no, I didn't. And I was watching the game. In fact, I wrote about it for the New York Times. I, and I... You know, there was a time, if everything was equal, and baseball was the way it once was, I would have been right there with those fans that are raging, like, how can you pull a guy after just 80 pitches in a perfect game? But, you know, this was such a perfect storm of extenuating circumstances. I mean, to your point, Clayton Kershaw, 34 years old, and he he, he couldn't pitch last October because he had a flexor tendon injury. So the doctors told him he didn't have surgery, but he had he had uh, blood platelet uh, transfer, sur- you know, he had blood platelet transfer infusion yep. or the, whatever that procedure is. Yep. So he avoided surgery, but it was a significant injury. He could not even pick up a ball until January. They made him re- doctors recommended you rest. So here's a guy that didn't pick up a ball till January. The Dodgers, by the way, especially back in 2012 and 2011 and 13, back in Kershaw's younger days, they rode him hard. He pitched several, you know, multiple playoff series against St. Louis where he'd take the ball on short rest. So he's, in other words, his arm has a ton of miles on it. So he's 34 years old. His arm's got a ton of miles. He couldn't even pick up a ball till January. He's coming back from injury. One, he, a lot of people thought he might retire after last year. The only reason he's coming back, and I have talked to him personally about this, is the reason he's coming back is for one reason only, to win a World Series with Los Angeles. He 
it feels like he's got enough personal accomplishments. Obviously, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So all of these things, plus it was 38 degrees in Minnesota. He didn't get a full spring to stretch out. The responsible thing to do was to pull him. I, I hate to say that, but I don't think the Dodgers and Dave Roberts had a choice. And I would add one more thing to that. And that is simply, given who Kershaw is and his veteran status, I think he had to be involved in the decision, and I was happy that he was. Dave Roberts talked to him on the bench after the sixth inning. How you doing? The pregame plan was for him only to go about 70 pitches, somewhere between 65 and 70. As they talked it out during the game in real time, you know, Kershaw, after the sixth inning, there was an agreement. He and Dave Roberts said, you know, Kershaw said, let me go one more inning. Roberts said, okay, fine. I think given a pitcher of Kershaw's status, you can't just make that decision unilaterally. By the way, he's never had a perfect game. He's had one no-hitter, never had a perfect game. That's one of the few individual accomplishments he's never had. So given who he is, I don't think Dave Roberts or the Dodgers, you have to defer a little bit to him. You can't just make a unilateral decision. We're pulling him from a perfect game. So the fact that it was collaborative, I think that's perfect. And Kershaw was on board. Everybody understood this is what we have to do. I hate it. I hate that they had to. But for all those reasons, I don't think there was a choice. Yeah, you and I see it exactly the same. And your opinion's good. My opinion's good. The opinion of Clayton Kershaw kind trumps all of them. And he said afterwards, I knew it was coming. I don't disagree with it. Yep. I know what the manager was yep. doing. He noted the fact that he went three months without picking up a baseball during this offseason. Yep. He said Dave Roberts did what he had to do. And uh, you and I agree with that position. And he I, also was right. He, he also said he understood it from the fans' perspective. He said if I was a fan, he even mentioned if I if, – if if I was a father who took his son to the game that day, I understand that fans are upset and w- w- didn't like this decision. He said, and I don't blame them. So there are multiple ways to look at it, too. Kershaw said everything you just said, and he was done, and it was the smart thing to do and the responsible thing to do. But he also you know, said, yeah, from the fans' perspective, I get it. You know, fans come to the game, they want to see something historic. And the thing that stinks most about it is the 13 strikeouts they got hurt him because that's what ran his pitch count up. If he got yep. a couple of soft yep. outs, he might have actually yep. been able to get to the eighth. <laughs> and if he gets to the eighth, now it gets a little bit dicier. Now you get a little itchy, yeah. and maybe Dave Roberts would have looked at it differently. But seventh and uh, the number of pitches that he threw, I knew was also, enough. Also, a, 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 a point on how the game's changed, I don't know if you saw this particular stat, Jody. When you mentioned a stat a minute ago, I thought this might be where you were going. Remember a few years ago, 2016 or 18, Dave Roberts pulled Rich Hill from a perfect game after seven innings because that's when Rich Hill was fighting his blister issues. And it was in Miami facing the Marlins later in the season. And the Dodgers knew, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs and we need Rich Hill for the playoffs. So after seven innings, Roberts pulled him. So now – now Roberts pulls Kershaw in the eighth inning. So Roberts has become the only manager, first manager in Major League Baseball history to pull two pitchers in the seventh inning or later of a perfect game. 
But that's modern baseball, which you and I, I'm sure, don't like it, but we understand that's how it's got to be sometimes. Exactly right. Scott Miller, National Baseball columnist, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right. I said I completely agree and understood Dave Roberts. You want to explain Joe Madden walking in a run intentionally in the middle of a game last <laughs> night? That one I left, I got to admit, left my head scratching a little bit, but they did come back and win, so it takes away some of the second guessing. That's Joe. He's got his own analytical way of looking at things. Uh, that yep. one did did kind of boggle my mind a little bit, though. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, you know, Joe is, uh, you're right. He's unconventional, uh, to say the least. Um, The Ranger, the the Angels pitcher, Warren, was pitching at the time. He said, yeah, absolutely. It surprised me. But, of course, I'm not going to tell him what to do. I trust my manager, and it worked out, basically. Um, You know, and and Madden is unconventional. I mean, what you know what brought me back to was the old uh, Barry Bonds treatment, right? I mean, Bonds is the only guy I know of that's been a walk with bases loaded to walk a run in, you know, back in about 2002. I'm trying to remember. I want to say Jim Leland did it, but um, maybe when Leland, during the brief time he was managing Colorado, it might have been somebody else, but that was the, that was the comp to me was, was, um, you know, back in the Bonds days that you, you saw it happen, but now, I mean, Corey Seager, no disrespect, he's a really, 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 really good hitter, but he's no Barry Bonds. <laughs> Not even close. And uh, he may be making yeah. more money than Barry Bonds made, but that's a whole other story about escalating salaries in baseball. It is. All right. Uh, speaking of salaries and contracts and the like, um, I noted this the other day. Uh, Aaron Judge's uh, negotiation with the Yankees got a lot of coverage, the fact they didn't get it done. I was surprised by Brian Cashman coming out afterwards and talking about what numbers were on the table and like teams don't usually do that. And Cashman has never done it. He's been the general manager of the Yankees for a long time, but he felt the need to do it here. Maybe he knew he was going to get heat for the fact that he didn't get the, the contract done. And apparently Judge is looking to get paid more than anybody else going forward. And maybe he will this offseason. But there were very few contracts of guys whose contracts were up at the end of this year, were sitting on free agency. Can they get a deal done? Uh, Jose Ramirez, the only one with the uh, Indians, and he took a hometown discount to stay in Cleveland. He took less than I thought he would have been uh, getting on the open market. But we did get a whole bunch of guys who signed to take off the last couple of years of arbitration and then buy into their first couple of years of arbitration, like Miles Straw and Cabrian Hayes and Ryan McMahon and the like. We didn't see as many big buck, 100 and change, 200 and change type million dollar contracts coming down here right before the season started. Why do you think we saw pretty good activity in one group, but next to none in the other? Yeah, that, that that's a good question. I think, you know, teams are always looking for a bargain. And, you know, signing a guy like Key Brian Hayes or Miles Straw, you know, before they, they hit arbitration or become free agents. I, I think certain guys, you know, I, I had explained to me once uh, by an agent who said he always advised his young guys, take the first big contract you're offered because that way you're guaranteed with some money to set yourself up early on. You know, whereas later, once you've been around a few years like Aaron Judge, um, you know, then you can become more picky. But 
you know, it's always it's always tough when you see somebody offered big money early in their career and they decline it, and then they end up getting hurt, and then they never make that money back. You know, it's always a risk. You always got to bet on yourself. Um, you know, different circumstances, I guess, as well, different times and places. You know, Cleveland, that's what they do. They they were one of the teams way back in the day in the early '90s that kind of invented this concept of sign the young guys to multi-year extensions to buy out their first couple year free agency. I think they did that with like Carlos Baerga back in the day and Sandy Alomar Jr., a whole bunch of them. And now all these, you know, generation later, you know, they're doing with Miles Straw and then, and then they convinced Jose Ramirez to take the hometown discount, which a little different because he's a veteran, not a young guy with his early contract. But I have to say the Aaron Judge thing, uh, you know, I, it's one thing to bet on yourself, but it's also one thing to bet on yourself when you're playing 160 games a year and you stay off of the disabled list. Uh, as much as Judge has been hurt, I, and I think he, if I'm right, he's only played like in, in his over his Yankees career, whatever the total number of games he could have played in. I believe because of injuries and injured list stays, he's only played in about 70% of the games he's been, a, he could have played in. Um, I don't know, man, if I'm like a six, five guy that pulls an oblique and you know, every year and misses many games, I think I might've taken that 230 million, but that's Aaron judge's business and other guys have bet on themselves. Max Scherzer comes to mind when he turned down a Detroit Tigers offer uh, that end up making more money like Scherzer did in Washington. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens with Mr. Judge. We will see. All right, one team-specific note I want to get in um, because I know you know him because you're out there on the West Coast. I okay. thought the San Francisco Giants were going to come back to the pack this year. I said I'll bet every dollar that I own that they don't win as many games as they did the previous year because they weren't winning win 107 again. Uh, but I thought the Dodgers were the team to beat. I said they get a realistic chance to get a wild card, but um, yep. they're not going to win the division. And sure enough, they're six and two again to start the year, <laughs> mostly on the strength of starting pitching. Uh, they made a change at pitching. David Rigetti was the pitching coach out there for a long time, and a lot of people thought yep. he was very good. They thought he would eventually become a manager because he's so good as a pitching coach, somebody would give him a chance to become a manager, kind of like Buddy Black. Um, it never happened for Rigetti, and he kind of pewtered out toward the end. And they hired Andrew Bailey, who had just finished pitching, had been a one-year kind of assistant coach for the Angels the year before, and they jumped him yep. up to pitching coach right away. And damn it, the giant pitching staff hasn't been great since Gabe Kapler got the managing job, and I don't think Gabe is telling the pitchers what to do, so somebody's got to get some credit for it. Uh, the Andrew DiScalfani's going in there and pitching the way that they do. Um, is Andrew Bailey the most underrated coach in uh, baseball right now? I'll give you a couple answers. First answer is yes. The second answer is <clears throat> The Giants, in fact, it's funny you ask this because I did just do a big story on this the week go, leading into the season for the Times. The Giants, two years ago, went with thir a 13-person coaching staff. They, they're totally unconventional anyway under Gabe Kapler. But they've got a coaching staff on steroids. It used to be teams that have about six coaches. You'd have a bench coach, a bullpen coach, first and third base, 
pitching and hitting coach. The Giants, to your point, yes, Andrew Bailey is really good. He's the pitching coach. Now, on their 13-man pitching, 13-person coaching staff, Brian Bannister is the director of pitching, the former major league pitcher, Brian Bannister, director right. of pitching. Andrew Bailey is the pitching coach. And they have a guy they hired from Minnesota's organization, J.P. Martinez, who is the assistant pitching coach. So they've got like three pitching coaches, and they've got three hitting coaches. And it's worked extraordinarily well. And, it, you know, it's a new age thing. And a lot of baseball traditionalists are like, what is the deal? What are they? What are they reinventing the wheel? They really, they need 13 coaches. Gabe Cap, Farhan Zaidi told me that when Gabe Kapler pitched it to him, this idea of 13 coaches, he said at first he was skeptical, but it made sense. Basically it was this, look, when, when students are in school, the best schools have a really good teacher to pupil ratio, right? The small class sizes idea. Well, basically that's what the giants have done. They expanded their coaching staff. The players get more individual attention. I talked to Anthony DiSclafini this spring and he said it, it was awesome. He said last year, you know, he said like Andrew Bailey really helped me with my curveball. Brian Bannister helped me with my changeup, and JP Martinez. I think I think I have a backward. JP Martinez with one particular pitch helped me. Bannister or uh, uh, Bailey with one, and Brian Bannister really helped with the mental side of the game. So in other words, Di Scalfini, to use that him as a specific example, said I'm all three of our pitching coaches. I got specific things that really helped me improve. And, you know, we'll see where it goes, but I do know this. It's a copycat game. And you look around the league now, there are nobody has more coaches than the Giants, but the Cincinnati Reds this year went to 13 coaches, just like the Giants. And there are two or three other teams now with like 12 and 11 coaches uh, there's still a lot of teams with eight or nine, but this is like one of the latest trends in baseball is beefing up your coaching staff. And I will tell you this, I'm with you. I didn't think the Giants would win 107 games again this year. I still think that would be a really hard trick to turn. But if they continue to play like they are, the 6-2 and two start, there could be a lot of other teams that continue to increase their coaching staffs. Yeah, if they get that well-coached pitching that they've gotten so far this year throughout the entire yep. season, they're going to hang with the Dodgers all year long. Scotty, always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate it whenever you come on. Thanks for hanging for a couple of minutes. Have a happy Easter, buddy. Always, Joe. To you too, all the listeners as well. Take care. We'll talk soon. Scott Miller, uh, MLB national columnist, contributing for the New York Times and on Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay. 
Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.